Hello, welcome to Dust Busters, your inseparable companion podcast to His Dark Materials. I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm a massive fan of the original Dark Materials novels. And I'm Louisa Maycock, and I have never read a single one of these novels. So for a lot of uh, listeners to this podcast and a lot of watchers to this TV show, I know about as much as you do. Dustbusters is sponsored by Penguin Random House, the publishers of Philip Pullman's creations. If you're already a fan or want to skip ahead and see even more of Lyra's world, The Book of Dust, The Secret Commonwealth is out now, which is set after The Amber Spyglass, the third in the Dark Materials trilogy. It's out now in hardback, ebook and audio, which is read by Michael Sheen. This week, we have coerced round to our flat on the promise of conversation and a hearty butternut squash soup. <laughs> BBC Six Music's film critic and broadcaster, Rihanna Dillon. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. We're good, aren't we? Good. You have a bit of a cold. I do, yeah. Well, you might be able to showing. hear that, my voice. You're looking all right? You're looking okay? Yeah. Well, there's... the soup, the hearty soup, I'm sure yeah. will cure everything. Yeah. So, Rihanna, I've just mentioned the Michael Sheen audio book yes. of The Secret Commonwealth. You have just very recently finished it. I have. Uh, I am I am such a huge fan of audiobooks in general. And so, I, I mean, I've, I've read the um, His Dark Materials loads, uh, but then... I got the audiobooks as well, and it's Philip Pullman narrating them, uh, but then with actors uh, for all the characters. And that was so beautiful because I was like, okay, well, this is Philip Pullman. He he knows exactly how he wants this to sound. Um, so that was, and he's got a beautiful voice as well. So that was really exciting for me on so many levels. So then when Book of Dust came out, I was like, oh, I could read it or I could get Michael Sheen to read it to me. <laughs> I mean, what, what, there's no... You make it sound like he's coming around to your house. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he did. Maybe that is my everyday fantasy. <laughs> I wish that he would just turn off at my door with the Book of Dust and be like, right, time to read. So we've, we've seen episode one. I'll just do a quick recap of that uh, in which we met Lyra, her demon, Pantalaimon, and her best friend Roger at Oxford, where they were placed under scholastic sanctuary by her uncle, Lord Asriel. Uh, Asriel is an explorer who has brought back some images from the Arctic of a mysterious particle called dust that is attracted to adults, but not children, and also seems to show a city in the Northern Lights. After being gifted a truth-telling device called an alethiometer, Lyra is adopted by a mysterious Mrs. Coulter, and they leave for London. Rihanna, mm. last week we had our guest Michael Leader, who was not a fan of the books, had no. not seen it before. And I always liked Michael until he said I know, that. it's a shame. <laughs> um, so I'm going to revel in the fact that I've got a fellow fan here. What did you make of episode one? Um, so I was I was so excited, like you were. Um, you know, I felt like I'd been waiting for this for a really long time. So I was incredibly excited, possibly a bit overexcited that every scene I was like, yeah, amazing, brilliant, love it. You know, like that like enthusiasm that you have when you come out of um, something that's had so much hype and anticipation. And then I watched it again and I still really enjoyed it. I think I maybe saw a couple more flaws. Um, but I, it's so difficult because you are setting up a whole new world and you're setting up so many characters. And I, I know a lot of complaints about it was that it was too slow but the and too sprawling, perhaps. But the trouble is, if you make it too fast, you do end up missing things that fans are going to be upset with. And you're going to end up with a Golden Compass film, which nobody wants. Mm. So I think it was quite important that they did set it up and gave us home to to breathe with the characters a little bit. Um, so overall, I really loved it. I think they did a really good job. And also, I was really impressed with the casting from top to bottom. And it made me 
you know, you always have that knee jerk when somebody has been cast in a character that you know so well from novels, um, which, you know, I'm sure everyone had with Harry Potter, for example, and everyone's got their gripes about the films. Uh, I have a lot of gripes about the films. I just want but- to say that Rihanna is wearing a Harry Potter themed sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah, I am, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, hold on. Oh, and a girls on tops t-shirt. Right. That's Under a very good plug. Yeah. You can come back again. Just being really like brown nosing today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I was, I was a bit anxious when they announced the casting, but having seen, um, episode one, I was like, okay, I trust them. There are some characters we haven't yet seen. Um, for example, Lin-Manuel Miranda is still to come. And that was a casting choice. I was like, well, you've done that for his fame and not for the character. And that really upset me. But now I sort of trust in them a little bit more. Okay. So, yeah, I think they did a good job. Louis, you've had a week mm-hmm. uh, to sit with that episode now. Mm-hmm. Feel like maybe you've slightly cooled on it? I think I was just so overwhelmed by the first episode. And so, it, to me, it feels like trying to learn an entirely new language that I was just completely out of my depths. I had no idea what was going on and I was trying so hard to keep up with you and Michael last week because somehow even though Michael hadn't read the books, he (laughs) is just a scholar in everything. He's just one of those people. So this week I was relieved to be instantly more engaged, more excited, just 100% there for Lyra and her impeccable pajamas. (laughs) Oh my God, those satin pajamas. Lovely. I think I think uh, going back to episode one, I I feel like that was maybe just like the first hour of Star Wars: The Force Awakens for me. Of mm-hmm. like, it's just safe. I feel like I'm happy because we're safe. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing here that is totally blowing my mind yet, mm-hmm. but I'm content with how it's going. And then this is pushing on forwards yeah and there's stuff here that i'm really happy about i was concerned in the first episode about not really establishing the human demon relationship Mm -hmm. and really hoping that the series pushes on to that and i think that's the big thing that episode two Mm -hmm. gets into yeah Uh, and i think it's about time we move on to that one this is episode two the idea of north okay so Demons, humans, important relationships, yes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty important. Pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, I was I was quite shocked at moments in this, uh, how much I began to feel for a small little animal mm. uh, and how much it felt like a body part that I could feel myself. Yeah. Mm. And uh, part of that is down to a single moment involving Mrs. Coulter and because Lyra has moved into her apartment in London, there is a little scrap between demons. But we'll get to that in a moment. Let's talk about that apartment first. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote in my notes, interior design, three exclamation marks, that bathroom, the marble. Maybe this was why I was enjoying this episode so much, just because it was more of a sort of feast for the eyes. Mm. You're not one for just bouncing off roofs and in rivers in Oxford. No, not. Like, I'm much more comfortable in a sort of opulent apartment in London. (laughs) Penthouse suite. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's my vibe. (laughs) It is gorgeous. Like, it is stunning. And it so fits in with Mrs. Coulter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like you learn a lot about that sort of, how good she is at that superficial kind of... Well, I think a key line from her this episode is she says that, you know, Lyris, your clothes say so much about yourself. Mm. 
Mm. And I think, yeah, we really see that. And we see Mrs. Coulter trying to mold Lyra into sort of a perfect mini me. She's being fitted with these new dresses. Yeah. yeah. She's got big plans for her. There's a there's a great <laughs> bit where they, they go for lunch at the Arctic Institute mm. and Lyra has the great line saying, we're lunching, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is brilliant. Um, and Mrs. Coulter asks her to look around the room, says, how many women do you see yeah. here? And there's, it's just it's just boring old rural RGS type men. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, she's she's going to mould her into her protégé, or she has plans to. Um, but she doesn't know Lyra like we do. And I think we get a bit more about Lyra in this one. We get to see her as the, the rascal that she is, that she's mm-hmm. a bit scrappy, that she's a bit funny. And despite the the power that I think Ruth Wilson immediately commands in this character, she's not totally overwhelmed by her. It's interesting because it feels like Pan is a much better judge of character than mm-hmm. um, Lyra is initially. He's he's a little bit more wary, and um, he sort of he sort of tells her not to um, reveal where she found out about dust from, for example. He's more cautious. He's very much like that sort of conscience on her shoulder, I suppose. He's not swayed by the lovely apartment. No, he, he exactly fancy dresses. He's really suspicious, and even you Rightly know, so yeah. Absolutely, like he he hears these noises at night, and Lyra can't be bothered. She like throws a pillow at him. That bed like, looks so comfy. <laughs> oh, yeah, she she collapses on it and says, "I'm drowning." I'm drowning. <laughs> um, but Pan is just always kind of um, alert and aware, and sort of keeps an eye out for the golden monkey. And then we find out uh, later on that's a very wise thing to be doing, keeping yeah. an eye on this monkey. But this this is, I think, what's key in this episode compared to episode one. Episode one, I think we see the demons are companions. Mm. That's what they feel like, like a friend yeah. that is just there with you. More than a pet, but mm-hmm. uh, episode two really establishes that they are a thing in themselves yeah. as well. And they are hugely part of this person. And they are able to be inquisitive, to interrogate their human mm-hmm. and make them question things as they are part of them. Uh, and they are also able to feel pain. Yeah. And I think that's that's the key bit in this episode for really establishing or that shows how well it has established the relationship between demons and humans. There is a taboo in uh, his dark materials around contact between humans and demons mm. and or other people's demons I should say. And so any any contact between them feels very intense whether that is very violence intimate, yeah, or tender, yeah. Yeah. Um and in a moment where Mrs. Coulter is frustrated with Lyra and is trying to exert her power over her, her golden monkey fights Pan. Mm. And it is horrible. Louis, you were borderline tears. <laughs> I was it was so upsetting, so frightening. Cause I said just before in when we were watching the episode, I said, Jake, also if if someone harms a demon, does the human feel it? And almost as I finish that sentence, you see Lyra thrown to the floor, feeling exactly the same pain as her demon is. Mm. There's that point where um, when Pan transforms into a cat, you know, in order to try and fight back and then sort of manages almost to get away very briefly towards Lyra. But Lyra can't even put out her hand to protect him because she is so kind of wrenched to the floor. Like you can you can almost see the that invisible 
um, sort of bind between them. I think they do that really, really well. And not only there, but also later on with um, the journalist, um, which I know we'll talk about, and her butterfly demon. And you see, again, that taboo of another human touching her demon. And so I think it's it's so violent having not read the books and not knowing about this taboo i guess that was a really great way of setting up the fact that it's so painful and horrible and And weird the the hatred you feel towards mrs coulter and that monkey and that moment is just intense it's palpable it is i mean this is this is the most we've spoken about golden monkeys since like jungle run went (laughs) off the air um and to its credit it's a it's a horrible monkey. It is a horrible <laughs> and they've done that very well as a book reader uh, to translate just how evil that monkey yes, is. It's, it's a hateful animal. It's a hateful creature. But, um, you know, earlier on, they, they set up when you see Mrs. Coulter and her monkey being able to separate. Mm. So being, creepy. It's being like sort of, yeah, yeah. And again, it's that thing of like, we wouldn't necessarily realize that that's a, that's a problem. That's, that's amazing world building that you find that so creepy. Yeah. Even though we're only two hours into Yeah, because we know, having yeah. read the books, that that's so weird and bizarre that humans could ever do that. And other people find that, like like Lyra reacts going, it's unnatural. I think it, it taps into a sort of almost uncanniness, the whole mm. thing with the demon and the separation of the demon to the human. Mm. When, she, when Lyra opens the door to Mrs. Coulter's study and you see the monkey turn around and look, mm. yeah, it's just... I think the closest is on an uncanniness. Yeah. But then when you see Mrs. Coulter hit her own demon <gasps> and you see that sort of human on demon violence against their own demon, so that wrong. was, that was horrendous. I was really sure. I don't remember that in the books. And I have to say now that Northern Lights is probably my least well known of the three uh, novels yes because you, you you took them in a weird order oh yeah my mom <laughs> blame my mother for this she bought me the subtle <laughs> knife first um so i think i read the subtle knife and then the amber spyglass and then was like oh there's i i never read the northern lights and then went back and read northern lights and so because i'd already f- sort of found out what had happened to these characters it was really weird to go back to the beginning and see how they sort of originate it was a weird way around and also meant that i didn't love northern lights nearly as much as i probably should have done I found it sort of more dull in comparison to the next two because so much more goes on, so much more world building, more characters, yeah. etc. And again, once you find out someone's fate, it's harder to be interested. Well, as a Subtle Knife fan, mm. there is some pretty pivotal stuff in episode two of the series, which I thought was going to be completely Northern Lights. That must have been quite a surprise. I was really shocked when we see Lord Boreal step into our world and we know it's our world because there are police sirens and you know tickets and yeah um (laughs) he gets like parking uh fines i was like of course everything with our world is negative (laughs) (laughs) it's miserable and um i wasn't again the iphone thing because obviously that these books were written in the 90s so those phones did not exist so that was yet another shock mm. so i was like oh right they've really moved this on because obviously in the in lyra's oxford in that world it's a different you know we're we still would, writing with quills well and- yes we would say it's old-fashioned i yeah. suppose but it's just they've I suppose just developed at a different time. Yeah, their leaps in science and technology are just in a slightly different way and i guess way to iphones ours. are so deeply embedded in our 
culture, contemporary yeah. reality that they want to just make it connect to a modern audience. I yeah. just find that bizarre. It kind of jolted me out of it a little bit because mm. it just it felt so unnatural and so yeah. unnatural from the books. And also, like you said, that doesn't not happen in the in normal. I Lights. couldn't believe what I was seeing, um, and it's really exciting because like, there are things that happen in the subtle knife that are that tie in to northern lights but mm. you don't know about them as you're reading northern yeah, lights of course. of course um and i think because we across the three books there are characters that will take us across the whole way or characters that only get introduced in book two or book three and if we do want to get like the most narrative reward out of this mm. it makes sense to introduce those ideas early on if you mm -hmm. can to just really lay the foundations so when we do start bouncing between worlds it doesn't seem completely insane like it did when i picked up subtle life <laughs> yes. um it feels like an authentic part of the world um louis when this happened in episode two i like turned to you in shock <laughs> i was just I was letting it, I was just rolling with it. You're like, do you notice anything different? And I was like, he's just come out of some bushes, which is a bit strange. <laughs> but then that's it. If you're not expecting that, so yeah. like if you're, if it's a totally new narrative. Well, it's world just, building, yeah. isn't it? It's all part of that first. And they set that up quite nicely in the credits where you have layers upon layers upon layers of worlds, uh, which I thought, I thought that was I a love quite, that. that's yeah. a nice little nod, mm -hmm. isn't it? If, if it's just something that you can, um, reflectively yeah. uh, like understand or admire that I suppose my again this is like it's not a gripe it's an observation I suppose but when we find out about these windows into other worlds in the subtle knife um the windows are described as you could you could not see them they're barely there because you, you just have to be looking at them from a slightly different angle and you wouldn't be able to see yeah. it whereas this had this sort of like ethereal glow around it sort of magical yes yeah, so um, it kind of looks like the the El uh, sorry the dwarf archway from the lord of the rings yeah like, just like glowing mm. and ethereal yeah um, like, or like the mirror of Erised or something like yeah it was it, almost again, like very... water yeah sort of stepping through water like, yeah yeah and so I, th I thought, I was like, oh, okay, well, this, obviously they've done this to be more visually interesting. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, because in the books, it's like the, just, just by having another world there, I feel like is visually interesting mm -hmm. enough. Um, but it was interesting the way they did that. It feels like they, they're a lot less hidden than these windows into other yeah. worlds. And I'm curious how it's going to play out for the rest of this series, what mm. role they will have. As I mentioned in Northern Lights, the book, they don't appear at all. Right. Um, so I wonder how much of Subtle Knife is going to be brought forward, whether we will even meet characters. Who knows? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Don't excite me. <laughs> yeah. I think let's let's bounce around some of the other characters. So we, we've we've kind of covered what's happening with Lyra in the apartment, although we didn't uh cover her getting fitted for a dress which is maybe i think like that's that's a perfect lyra moment um ain't got much give <laughs> yeah and that was the first time they used like her proper um like the way that she speaks in ent. the yeah ent she says ent all the time yeah. in the books not even ain't but ent en like is it apostrophe t I think so. um and it's the first time you kind of hear that in her voice in the in the TV series, which I really like, it's, it's nice, nice to have nod. those funny moments. Yeah, yeah, but that's so hard. Ain't got much to give. I want to run around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like we get it. You're a little like ruffian and yeah. you know a scamp. It's great. And yeah. I love seeing that side of her. It was yeah. like Jake when we go shopping together, and I'm trying to fit you with these <laughs> beautiful clothes, and you're just sort of like, oh, 
<laughs> I need to be able to move. <laughs> That's why you like that moment so yeah. much. Um, so let, let's leave uh, Lyra in the apartment and uh, move to the Egyptians, who we met in episode one briefly. Um, these are the people that live on boats, and one of their um, kids, Billy Costa, has been nabbed by the gobblers. Mm. And so they're on the hunt for him. And I think this is a really interesting... It's really interesting to see this part of the story because it's not something we're used to. If uh, in the in the books we we generally follow Lyra in Northern Lights and we learn stuff as she learns it, we will learn of what the Egyptians have been up to when she gets told it. But here we have their perspective, and it makes me think of something that uh, Philip Pullman has referenced a lot in his lectures and writing about storytelling uh, that he finds that filmmakers and television writers think a lot more about structure and storytelling than mm. he finds book writers do. Mm. And so David Mamet uh, actually has his favorite quote about uh, storytelling, which is, where do you put the camera? <laughs> and so if, even if you're writing a book, mm. uh, you need to think, right, this is an establishing moment or yeah. an establishing shot. This is a close-up. And he will think about writing like that. And here we put the camera with people that we don't know. Mm. Like, this is not someone we're used to. We're putting the camera with the Egyptians and we're learning a lot more about them than perhaps we would have done if we were staying just with Lyra. The, the Egyptians are a really interesting bunch of people and we see great demons with them. I think that's it's a great inclusion in the show structurally as a way of seeing more of the world mm. and how the world works. If we do see everything from Lyra's perspective, actually it's going to take a while before we see a lot. Mm -hmm. Whereas by taking this split narrative approach, we get to learn a bit more about how this world works. Mm. Because otherwise, as you say, we're always going to be aligned with Lyra, which is great, uh, except that it's that internal monologue that we do get a lot of in the books it's, yeah. it's not so much a monologue but we we know what she's thinking we know what pan's thinking we know what they're all the sort of little inflections and sort of every uh, thought and movement that goes on and of course that's not going to be uh, something that you're able to translate into television and it would be too slow i think for a viewer so i think and I, I think that it, the, the Egyptians are just a really interesting group of people to be around and they have so much of the sort of hierarchy between you know, between them, there's this lovely moment with uh, Mark Hoster and John Farr where they sort of just like touch their heads together. And there, you sort of feel like that there has been a bit of tension between them because she wants to stay in Oxford and find her son and he knows that he's not going to be there anymore. And he's trying to do the best thing for her without her sort of really willing to go along with it. But they just have this moment of, um, I don't know, it's a really beautiful it's very tender. Touching. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like those, the barriers of that hierarchy have been broken down in that moment. Um, and again, like just seeing her dedication and love for her son, where on the flip side, you have Lyra and Roger, who are, as far as we know, orphans. Mm -hmm. Um, and they don't have that necessarily that tender, um, sort of bond with a with a parent in Apart the same way they've that... sort of substituted each other in I yeah feel like. mm. yeah absolutely like wherever lyra is, she's thinking about roger and vice versa yeah, yeah. and as, as we get to know the egyptians more and how important family is to mm. them and how they establish their community and whether or not pivotal characters to this show may become part of that who knows <laughs> <laughs> um 
But of course, the, the Egyptians are looking for Billy Costa. He has been taken by the gobblers. Mm. And there's a reveal that the gobblers are in fact the general oblation board. And the head of them is none other than Mrs. Coulter. Dun, dun, dun. I wrote in my notes, I do not trust Mrs. Coulter. Right at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> and then when there was that reveal, there was sort of, I was very satisfied that I was quite a good judge of character yeah Yeah. you sort of you they imply that her sinisterism that's not a word um (laughs) (laughs) how sinister she is when she locks the lift as soon as they walk into the the flat the first time and you see her locking and doing a little code into the lift there is a very you're like oh okay she's locked in there evil i think her her top evil moment for the episode for me is getting all the kidnapped kids to write letters to their loved ones. And we see our boy Roger writing a letter (laughs) to Lyra because she's the only person he really knows. And then Mrs. Coulter takes the letters and burns them. It's heartbreaking. But also, what did you think about that? Because I feel like Roger is um, quite paranoid and quite like a cautious child. He seemed immediately very trusting they all seem quite trusting considering they'd all been kidnapped you know i didn't really understand they didn't really set that up well enough for them to suddenly all been gathering around i I think it should perhaps be more like a pied piper situation that they are lured away on promises and Mm. sweets and yeah um, a child snatcher-esque yeah and this feels more like (laughs) You should realise you've been kidnapped, right? I mean, they, they, they do know because, you know, they were literally kidnapped and were locked in vans and separated from their loved ones. So that's the one thing I don't buy is how compliant these children are. Yeah. But then if you are a kid and you are scared and locked away and then a nice woman yeah. who's beautiful yeah. and tells you that she's going to take you somewhere for an adventure and mm. give your parents a letter from you you're gonna if that's the only thing that you yeah. can put faith in you're gonna put it your maybe faith in yeah it. maybe some of the children but i just didn't buy it with roger because i yeah. think he's got he's a good because well, he's got a bit of lyra in him as well yeah. like they're, they're they're scrappy they they bounce around oxford exactly. together they interrogate things um wasn't no, that I such think... a sad moment when he says oh lyra's going to be looking for me and <sighs> at that moment she's getting fitted for that dress yeah. i was just like oh my goodness <laughs> Stop it. Doesn't she say, oh, do you think Roger would like this dress? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like um, in Paddington 2 when Paddington is in prison. That and, made me cry, that scene. Yeah. And he, he goes he goes to his like call with the family and they're not there. They're not there. Yeah. I'm surprised it's taken you this long to bring Paddington into this podcast. <laughs> I'm really glad like. you have. Can we do a Paddington podcast? We do a spin-off. Yeah. Some sort of. <laughs> All right. Um, part of the general oblation board or gobblers, um, along with... Mrs. Coulter is Lord Boreal, our man who is bouncing between the worlds with mm. his um, sneaky snake demon. See, you called him a meanie, which yeah. um, I mean, he is. I'm not saying he's not. He's the most evil character, but um, he he's a character that does reoccur. We see him quite a lot throughout the novels, and I I love that they've kind of done something completely different with the casting. But I was expecting him to be a bit more charming. Mm. He's supposed to be quite sort of um, alluring and. People are drawn to him. He's supposed to be quite charismatic, and so far we've just seen him be a meanie. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the charisma. <laughs> yeah, I think they've kind of made a bit of an error with that. I feel like, you know, there are moments where we're supposed to be really sort of entranced yeah. by and for him. There to be a sort of shift of trust, whether we trust him, yeah, or whether we whether we don't, and a slyness like Mrs. Coulter that we mm. haven't. Like he's more of a bruiser to her 
mastermind. Yes, which isn't and, how it is in the books yeah. at all. So when he goes into our Oxford mm. and he meets that guy. Mm. Played by Robert Ems. Yes. Love him. Yeah. So is he's a sort of messenger between the two worlds and he's feeding information backwards and forwards. Well, that bit I didn't really understand. No, but the moment where the, where the snake comes out his sleeve... Really cool, but I yeah, I don't think it's clear what role our world is going to have no, yet. No, um, but it's early days. Yeah, it really is, and that that's a that's a good little tease that bit. Um, but in Lyra's world, we learn that the gobblers are taking the kids mm, away to mm. the north, and but after why? well, the, uh, Lyra sneaks into Mrs. Coulter's office and finds blueprints for a, a station in which there's lots of scary looking things oh, cages where the the demons and the children are sort of it looks like they're supposed to be separated in some way in different cages and that as we know is so taboo and scary yeah well and that, that's why i think yeah it's demon relationships that's what all this episode is about yeah and so we learn that about the proximity of intimacy and emotion that can be shared and so why it would be so weird to be separated as mm-hmm. well and then or to want it. to cause harm yeah. to your own demon yeah. and as well as establishing the relationships between the golden monkey and mrs coulter and pentalimon and lyra uh, there's another demon interaction which is uh quite shocking which is between the journalist that lyra meets at mrs coulter's party mm. and her demon who is a butterfly and I, lord boreal i do sort of think if you're going to have your demon as a butterfly don't let it get into sticky situations because it is the flimby, flimsiest I know, I was thinking of. This, like, <laughs> my God, it would be demon. just my luck to have a sort of just like the, the weakest, daintiest <laughs> demon who just you could accidentally sit on by mistake and then yeah. suddenly dead. It's like a double. It's so understandably. I think for journalists who are supposed to be like seeking out secrets, having something that is so small that could just sort of perch somewhere. Mm. If this journalist was able to separate from her demon, that'd be really useful. So useful. <laughs> because that butterfly could hide anywhere. Um, and you could send it into rooms. Yeah, exactly. Or like in the pipes or whatever. Yeah. And we actually see, um, Pan turn into a butterfly a little bit earlier on when he's sort of fluttering around mm. the, um, you know, the walls. So yeah, I think it's that weird thing. It was like actually great for a journalist, but also terrible if you're going to go in, if you're like an investigative journalist, you're going to put yourself into those yeah. sorts of situations. Well, and also not the strongest animal, mm. which is, which leads to characters' demise. That um, was really shocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for a kid's, for a kid's program, ostensibly a kid's program, I, you know, arguable, but to have a character just kind of offed in that way. I would definitely be having nightmares after this episode if I was, you know, an eight year old. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was frightening. Yeah. And we see what Lord Boreal is capable of. And I think it, that, and but so easily. Yeah. When she, he's just like, I'll take care of it. Just casual, <sighs> casual bit of murder. I know. This is what I don't quite understand about him. I'm intrigued to see how his character develops in this. Yeah. yeah it's all quite shocking. And in another shock, God, this episode, <laughs> the drama. Throwing everything yeah, at us. There is a, uh, a familial reveal. Yeah. That I was not expecting to come here as well. Um, I really, really want to know your thoughts on this, Lou. Like, I just, I'm, the thing is, because I don't have that foundational knowledge of the books behind me, the big reveals, I sort of, they just, I just... They were small reveals. (laughs) (laughs) Underwhelming reveals. (laughs) They don't, I mean, I'm not sort of, although I think I did gasp. This is, of course, the moment where it's revealed that Lord Asriel is not... Lyra's uncle, but is in fact her father. 
But the big thing in that scene is Mrs. Coulter, that's another power play over Lyra. So do you think it was deliberate that she let that slip? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a way of making Lyra, you know, her entire world Mm. has crumbled in this moment. Everything she she has been taught, everything she knows is completely tipped on on its head. And you see that. She's just on the floor and she's, you can see the confusion and the... Just like, why, why? Like so many yeah. whys that come out of that. Yeah, I, I I like that idea of that being a power play. And I think that in a way that's what Lord Asriel and Mrs. Coulter are both playing with Lyra. Mm. And Lord Asriel is doing it in his, his own kind of absent father ruin you psychologically so you must love me type way maybe subconsciously whereas Miss Coulter is directly doing but it, it. Also and it's just you... it's shifting her down two different parts one is this like wily adventurer yeah. that she has been raised to be and then this is a whole new elegant mysterious life that she could have as well but it also makes you wonder about the relationship between Mrs Coulter and <laughs> I can never remember Lord Asriel yeah, because that's how she acts. It's such a moment. It's really interesting you say that because it's such a moment of passion where she seems to let this uh, information slip. And I was like, I don't believe Mrs. Coulter would lose control like that. Uh, so I agree with you that mm-hmm. it was probably a power play. But the acting, if she is acting at that moment and it wasn't deliberate, and it was deliberate, uh, I think, brilliant. We see that not only Ruth Wilson is so great, but also that Mrs. Coulter is a, an incredible actress. Final moments of the episode then. Lyra leaves the lovely apartment. Sorry, Louis, I know you wanted to spend more time there. <laughs> oh, well, um, I've had only a bit temporary, of luxury, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and for the second episode in a row, we see a child being kidnapped in the final <laughs> moments. Uh, it's a jolly romp for a Sunday night, yes. isn't it? <laughs> Um, definitely one for kids, for sure. We will see Lyra, well, emerge somewhere. We don't know where mm. yet. It looks like it's the same people that snatched Billy Costa because because of the demon, the shape of the demon, we only really see the outline. And also because Pan, in the same way, seems to sort of be hypnotised by it and sort of goes towards it. But also he might be going towards it because he knows the demon, that he maybe trusts it. Uh, so it might be a group of people that, Lyra has encountered before might not be the gobblers but it might be yeah all right so that is episode two that was the idea of north um but we like to end on some therapy on this show so (laughs) we need it after this episode we do uh Rihanna it's time to talk about your inner demons yeah oh god this is a conversation I've been having with my friends for about 15 years so uh, yeah I can't say that you know I haven't been waiting for this moment my entire life. Uh, weirdly, the other day I was, I was out with my mate and she was just like, what would your demon be? <laughs> um, because we genuinely do talk about this all the time in the same way that we talk about, you know, what your Patronus is all the time. Um, her seems to be an otter for both. <laughs> that's weird. That's, that's two otters in a We had an otter. I last heard week. you say yeah. that last week. Yeah. Was Michael an otter? He was an otter with no, his, glasses. I, so, I mean, last week I was untitled goose demon. And also Taylor Swift cats. <laughs> Um, so the, so I'm not a cat person, but my friend was just looked at me and she went, you'd be a black panther. And I was like, oh, oh wow. Cool. I was like, I, obviously no one's going to say no to that creature. And that's something that I've always, I think is also one of my favorite, like, I just think they're so sleek, but also a bit dangerous and a bit lazy. You know, I kind of, I'm very lazy. So that idea of just like basking in the sun, but also, you know, can step up. If needs be. Funny fact about me, I played 
Bagheera in my year six. Did you? Bagheera yeah. is in like one of my favorite a, I had characters. To wear a it was very hot on a stage. Yeah. <laughs> a very threatening Bagheera. <laughs> <laughs> I perched upon a, a small. Like primary school table, that was supposed to be my branch. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I had a tail. My mum stitched on to some black leggings for me. Oh, cute. Yeah, well, there you go. Maybe you should be the black band I'm. I don't think I'm a, a you have, You've been having a think. By the end of this, once we, we learn everything there is to know about demons, you'll have settled. But what are you thinking? At the moment, I sort of... I think maybe the closest thing is perhaps a homing pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> are you quite a homely I'm a person? homely person. I'm my, I'm my happiest when I know that I'm going to be going home at some point within that day. Mm-hmm. I'm always drawn to being at home. Yeah. We've created a podcast that allows you to stay at, at home. home. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Homing Pigeon is this week. Okay. All right. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but that's the end of this week's Dust Busters. If you are interested in getting hold of some Dark Material swag, uh, do check out my Twitter account, which is at Jake H. Cunningham. The good folks at Penguin have given me lots of great prizes to be giving out to listeners. Do check that out. Currently, I'm asking people to tell me what their demons are. We've had some great entries so far. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Rihanna, if people want to keep up with you on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I'm at Rihanna Dillon. And uh, you can catch me every Monday doing film and TV reviews on Six Music as well. So check me out there. Lovely. And Louis, you're, you're still there at... I'm still there at, at Louise Maycock. But that's it for this week's Dustbusters. Thank you so much for joining us as we travel now between worlds on His Dark Materials. Dustbusters is produced by Jake Cunningham. That's me. Our music is by Dan Yakano. <laughs>